0: I just want to turn in a little bit of a different direction and then we'll come back to Ezra and Nehemiah in a minute. So this morning um, you know Matt was meant to be emceeing but you know his his family's sick. They've been smashed. Like they've had nearly three years of being smashed. You know they've had one thing after another and does anybody know any families like that? There's just so much going on. I do not find myself in any particular conversation that doesn't end in, yeah, and we've been sick and then there was this and then they had that and then we had the flu and then that one got COVID and then there was gastro and then the other ones got the flu and then there and then there was not enough people at work and then we didn't have and one of the things I was going to interview Matt about was what's the lay of the land this morning? What's it like out there? Because he works in a hospital setting. And like you can all imagine, it is really hard. I had a conversation with somebody just five minutes ago out in the corridor that said, yeah, it's really tough, you know, in the the medical centre where she works. It's really tough. I don't think there's anybody out there who wouldn't say these are tough days. There's a lot going on, and it's really hard. And so this idea of picking up this topic of rebuild, how will we rebuild? It is really hard, and it's a really important question to ask. I found this picture I hope this one comes up first I really love this image of of a wall like that's clearly a beautiful wall it's been a beautiful wall in its heyday and when when we repair that wall it's going to look different it's going to look like it's been repaired and I wonder what we will look like when we repair so here's this um, graph you might need to take a moment I can hear my voice echoing from the thank you from the foyer So this graph is, um, it's a graph that's basically talking about collective trauma. So not individual, but collective as a community. So the idea of, you might actually go through um, like a disaster. And then there's like heroes in the moment where where great things happen. And there's a sense of rallying together to try and, you know, we can overcome this. Or we can dig in together, you know, shoulder to shoulder. We can battle this difficult situation together. Um, There's community cohesion and it's a bit of a honeymoon time. Uh And then there's a bit of disillusionment that starts to set in. So, you know, I think back to some of those days when people would, like you would go for a walk, like when you're allowed to like walk within your 5K zone or whatever, there'd be rainbow chalk rainbows on people's driveways and like there'd be people putting teddy bears in the window so when you were taking your little kids out, they could like spot the teddy bear. Do you remember that? Like somewhere way back in our dim, dark past you know, or where I heard stories of people who would be like, oh, I've baked some cakes and I'm going to sort of sneaky drop them off at my neighbours' houses just to remind my neighbours that we're in this together. There's a great sense of community cohesion. We followed each up, we called each other, we checked in on each other and, and it was community like we actually hadn't tasted before and it was a little bit different. But they, this graph suggests that was a bit of a honeymoon, a bit of a hero kind of phase of, of we were dealing with this disaster and then some disillusionment came in. What I really like about this graph is in this sort of wobbly upward, you know, beginning to come out of it, is the the word trigger events. Now, the other day I was watching the news and there's a boat called the Coral Princess that's pulled in, in Sydney. And honestly, one of my kids said, are they rerunning some news from like two and a half years ago? What's going on? And it just reminded us of that season. Um, so we're not, we're actually not quite out of it, we're not up on that full rebuild stage but, but we are moving that way, we're actually starting to rebuild and we're rethinking and even, you know, week by week looking at who's in the room or how many people are watching on the live stream, we're sort of fluctuating, we're up and down and there's still a lot going on in our lives, not to mention all the other complexities that are going on in individuals' lives. So how do we rebuild uh, and how do we do this? feels like it's a bit of a one step forward, two steps back some weeks. And even this morning, you know, there have been a number of people who are meant to be doing different roles who've actually rung last minute and said, really sorry. And I'm like, you don't have to finish the sentence. I know, it's okay. In fact, I knew as soon as I saw your name come up on my phone. (laughs) It's okay. Um, But we're not back to normal yet. Whatever normal is or whatever new normal might be, but we want to think about how to rebuild. So I've asked Laura if she'll come up, and share with me let's give Laura a clap because it's scary coming up come on up Laura you can sit there and you can have that so Laura I wanted to interview you because of what you do with your role in life so if you sit that way those people can see you as well that's nice Um, so Laura tell us what do you do with yourself during the week what does the week look like
1: Sure, well, um, I work a nine to five job, so, um, but it's a pretty special job that's really important to me and who I am as a person. I'm a social worker and have been doing that for about five years um, and especially have always felt really strongly and called to the area I work in, which is family violence. So I work with um, people who've experienced family violence. I've previously worked with them um, when they're kind of in the midst of it, helping them to be safe and um, get to a place where they can start to recover. And now I do counselling, trauma counselling with victim-survivors of family violence, helping them to rebuild Aha. after the um, yeah huge trauma of family violence. Yep.
0: And so in your role, in what you're doing in terms of working with the women that you're dealing with, what, what are the things that you tell them that they need to do or they need to consider or they need to think about a plan for as they begin to rebuild? Because there would be massive rebuild going on in the lives of those those women.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, we kind of... With all trauma, trauma is really any overwhelming event that um, overtakes our bodies and our brain's capacities to cope with a situation. So family violence is... A repeated trauma that can have a huge impact on people so we kind of say with any trauma there's three big stages of trauma healing um, and the first one is really really important and um, it's probably the most important um, out of all of them and that's really creating safety mm-hmm. and stability in their lives so that means in the world that they live in um, Actually, having physical safety is where we start with people experiencing family violence. Obviously, they're genuinely unsafe, so we need to start there. But then, um, with any trauma, with the way it impacts our bodies and our brains, it creates our bodies are amazing in the way that they survive, but it can create this disconnection between, I guess, how um, we feel our emotions and. Um, often we have to shut down those emotions to be able to, to get through the trauma. So the first step is really rebuilding that connection between the brain and, and the body um, and helping to create some safety inside ourselves. Um, so as learning well as to just in emotions. their life. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. calm emotions, um, calm our bodies um, and um, build that connection back again with who they are. So that's that first step. Step two tends to be around, um, and this is where counselling can be really helpful, is about really grieving the losses that come with any trauma, um, identifying the impacts and um, processing those, making meaning of those, um, making sense of it, picking up the pieces, um, and feeling the kind of hard stuff of the trauma. And then the third step is really um, the exciting part which is about reconnecting, rebuilding um, and helping victim survivors to um, reconnect with often each other with their shared experience of family violence but also um, with the world. Um, We talk about kind of post-traumatic growth which is this experience of often people who've experienced trauma actually have these really unique insights and skills and... um, lived experiences that they can then use to share with other people and change other people's lives. So they're kind of the three steps for family violence but also really for any trauma, healing from that trauma. So that's kind of my job is just to help them guide through those... Three steps, and it's really a lifelong process, and it's not a linear thing. It's an mm-hmm. all over the place like that. Up and down, graph. <laughs> up and down. Sometimes two <laughs> steps forward, yeah. one step back. Yeah, yeah, but hopefully always kind of moving in some forward direction. Yeah, yeah. What an awesome opportunity for you to be able to speak into people's lives in that way. It's exciting. It's a privilege. I love it.
0: Before you go, why? Why would you do that? What, what's God got to do with it all in there? Because I, I know that there is a there is a, a reason behind why you do what you do.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, I think when I started caring about this kind of area, it was really because I felt God. My experience of God was that He cares about those who've been oppressed or um, pushed aside in society, and um, I know that those who experience any form of abuse—I've seen it, you know, hundreds of times—hold um, so much shame and self-blame. Um, and um for for those experiences, which is really not their their stuff to hold, so I just felt this like real um i don't know spiritual kind of sense of um, God really cares about these um, people who are just everyday people, and it's very it's a very common issue um, so he really wants to do something to make our world a more equal, safe place for Um, all people who experience family violence and families um, and relationships. Um, So I think that's what's driven me to it. And then I guess for the counselling side of things, I can see that God really wants to help people live really abundant lives, um, help them to connect to themselves. um, And so, yeah, it's just a privilege to be able to, I guess, help people to do live the way that God created them to live.
0: Um, yeah. It's really great work. It's really important work and, yeah, some really good insights for us. Thank you, Laura. Thanks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So thinking about the need to rebuild, I want to go back and have another look at the, the story of um, Ezra, Nehemiah and the temple and that big overview that we've, we've had in that video just then. Um, So remember that there were three acts to it. They were coming to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the law or or the people and the way in which they lived uh, and to rebuild the walls. And so this is the wrap-up of the story. So, you know, Ezra comes in And they read the scriptures together. And actually, there's a part of the story where it actually says, and all the people started crying because they recognised how big this was and how wrong they had gotten it. And so they were like all crying and everything. And so they retold the story of what God had done throughout all of history, that big, long arc of God's story. Uh, And then they made a solemn vow and promise, and they all signed their names. We will absolutely, 100%, no questions asked, obey the law we just will and we're all going to sign it and we all go you're right (laughs) because we know the story Um, but they really meant it and their hearts were really into it they said this time we are going to do everything right and they had this great dedication ceremony where they dedicated the walls and that the whole thing had been done and it was exciting and they paint this picture where Nehemiah says you know we got the bands together and we had two bands with great choirs and singers and trumpets and the whole thing and we got them up on the walls and we sent one of the bands to the south and one of the bands to the north and Ezra followed the band to the south and I followed the band to the north and we walked around and we shouted our praises and we had the music playing and it was so exciting and we went right round the walls and we met at the temple." And it says, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. Like you could hear the sound of the praising. They weren't just praising each other, they were praising God. God, you are that good and we just want to be your people and we love the great thing that you've done here for us in rebuilding the temple and reinstating the law and rebuilding the walls. And it was great joy. Now, if I was a blockbuster movie maker, I would stop it there, and I would say and produce, go make that movie. That's exciting. It has a great crescendo, and the credits roll, and we all have a little tear and go. Yeah, the God, the people of God did it. What a great story. Except sometimes that reminds me of the uh, the slide. That's not the pictures that aren't there. The pictures that aren't there, I don't know what's happened. Something's gone wrong. My pictures haven't come up. But it reminds me of the story of Dr. Zeus. You'll fly to great, you know, the, um, oh, the places you'll go. You'll fly to great heights. Oh, yes, you will, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. Because bang-ups and hang-ups. There's a story, and it goes like that, and it's a balloon, and it's deflated. And that's what's happened here, is there's this great crescendo, and they're singing to God on the walls that they've built And they're meeting at the temple and then the balloon goes flat and the story takes a turn for the worst. And I like to call chapter 13 herding cats because... Nehemiah decides to head back and visit Artaxerxes, the king who sent him in the first place, probably bring a, bring a bit of a report, have a bit of an natter, stay for a few years, you know, catch up, tell the great story, and it was great, and we had a band, and the band went this way, and the band went that way, and it was all amazing. And when he comes back from his time visiting King Artaxerxes, it has gone utterly pear-shaped, like incredibly pear-shaped, And Nehemiah starts herding cats. So he finds that there's a room, a storeroom in the temple that the head of the temple has leased out to his, like, brother-in-law Tobias to say, like, yeah, just use it as your own Airbnb. It doesn't really matter. And so Tobias has, like, moved into one of the rooms of the temple And he's like, no, no, and he's like trying to sort that out. And then he turns around and realises because of that room, they haven't actually brought the food offerings in that are meant to feed the priests. So the priests have bailed and gone back out into the field and said, well, we're going to have to earn our own money now. And all the singers from the temple have gone back. And like Ezra, everywhere, sorry, Nehemiah, everywhere he turns, something's going wrong. He looks around and realises that people are pressing wine for their wine presses on the Sabbath, and he's like, what are you doing? We signed the thing, we said we would. And he's herding cats every direction he goes. It's gone terribly pear-shaped, and he's ropeable. And in fact, even if you have a closer look at the end of the the chapter, the Bible Project were kind of nice about it, but he turned bully, he turned nasty, and he tried to use force and anger um, to compel the people to do what was right. And it didn't work. He threw his hands in the air and he said, God, I tried. And he really did. He really did try. And then there is an almighty silence for 400 years. This is the last act in the Old Testament history, in the chronology. There's 400 years of dead silence. Because the story's not finished, whilst it ends on this massive downer, and we're like, oh, are you kidding me? This would not sell a movie. It's because it's a to-be-continued, you know? And you all go, oh, to-be-continued, how long have we got to wait for the the sequel to come to tell us what happened to the people of God? It's a to-be-continued, and there's 400 years of silence until one day, one night, on a clear cold night... 400 years later, a star appears in Bethlehem and a child is born. And that child would one day claim to be the temple. And that child would one day claim to be the way and the truth and the life. And that child would one day claim to be the cornerstone, the foundation on which the people and build their lives so the temple was once the place sorry I'm going to show you that other picture that was there because that was good where was that that's 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 what poor old Nehemiah had to deal with it was it had gone pear-shaped but there was a time when Jesus was talking about the temple and he said this to the people listening he said destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up. And they're all like, you're right. You know how long it took to build this temple? You can't build it within three days. But when Jesus said this, this temple, he meant his own body. That's what he was talking about. Jesus was claiming that his body was the new temple. In fact, possibly not just a new temple, but the temple that the old temple was always pointing towards, was always declaring would come. The very presence of God, which human beings had so longed for, was within Jesus, was in the person of Jesus. Not a building in East Jerusalem. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here he was claiming that he was the temple. The presence of God was in him. So the law, the second one, which the people lurched and lunged towards for generations was in Jesus completely surpassed when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The law is still important, but the law pointed to the one who was always going to redefine it, and that is the person of Jesus. And the walls that set the people of God apart and protected them and defined who they were, they were no longer needed because Jesus was the cornerstone. Together, we are his house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. So the very first stone that they lay, and they make sure that that stone is right, it's upright, it's perpendicular, it's horizontal, it's whatever it is, so that all the rest that gets laid around it is based off that one. And Jesus is claiming, I am the cornerstone, I am the foundation. So he is the temple where the presence of God can be found. He is the definition of how we ought to live. And here's the cornerstone. As the people of God returned from being captive in Babylon, it didn't take very long for them to drift. Have you ever been in the ocean? You put your towel and your keys and your thongs and your hat and whatever it else is that you don't want to take in the water with you and you put them here and you go and hop in the water. And within about three and a half minutes, you're down there. And you've drifted. You haven't done anything to get there. You've just drifted. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, like whenever I'm at the beach and I say to my kids, okay, now just watch. You're going to be down there and you need to watch. And when I go like this, you need to get out, walk back up and start again. Yeah, you're all with me. When the people of God returned from exile, they drifted. I don't think they intentionally set out about to abandon the law or to ditch the temple ...or to not do the things that they were intending to do. But they really did drift. They drifted in a big way. They were marrying people who didn't love God. And in fact, so much so, that they weren't even teaching their children the language anymore. They had drifted really badly. So I wonder, here's my point... ...if in our time of rebuilding, we need to be really careful we don't drift. We need to be really careful that we don't drift... So we need to make sure that we lay the foundation stone. Don't just kind of paper over the cracks, render over them and hope the wall stays solid. We need to do a like a rebuild and we need to put that first cornerstone in right and that is Jesus, Jesus in our lives upon whom we will you know, measure everything, level everything up, make all of our decisions. And we need to make sure that we come into the temple to worship. And we don't actually need to come to a building anymore. We come because of Jesus. We can come. In fact, Jesus went on to tell us that we are the temple because within us, the Holy Spirit dwells and we are the temple. And we can worship God at any time. We can recognize his presence. We can recognize that he's good. We can recognize that he can be trusted. In a time of life when I needed to rebuild and I needed to rebuild kind of from the, from the bottom up, I decided that I needed to come back into the presence of God and there were times when I really didn't want to. There were times when I was just plain old cross at God and I, I wasn't sure that he could be trusted and I wasn't sure that I wanted to put my trust in him or I wasn't even sure whether, you know, maybe I was worthy of coming into his presence um, but I did a few things I gathered people around me who I knew were set square with their foundation and I brought them in really close and then I decided to come into the presence of God. I wrote out Bible verses. I wrote them every night like a bit of a crazy woman. I took really long walks and I talked to God a lot. I called people in close and I listened purposefully to what they said and I chose to worship I chose to sing songs and allow the words of those songs to change my mindset and to change who I was and to begin to rebuild my life. So I sang songs like I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I wasn't sure I meant it, but after a while I began to really mean it. And I sang songs like I will build my life upon your love, it is a firm foundation and I will not be shaken. And I remember singing those words, going, I will build my life on you alone. It is a firm foundation, and I will not be shaken. And it was a decision, and it was a choice. There's Jackson. Jackson, come on up. Hello, Jackson. G'day. We're going to wrap up this morning. We've got a peaceful, quiet room. Awesome. Jackson, give us a quick, what do you do with yourself during the week? Uh,
2: I'm a uni student mostly, I'm studying uh, Masters of Teaching, um, Primary and Secondary. I've been to a primary school, not to a secondary school, so we'll see whether or not I keep doing both. Um, and I do a bit of work
0: yep. as well. Yep, yep. So we've mostly seen you here leading the youth band. Yeah. And we love the way that you lead them, you, you, you know, you kind of just, you're in there, you're in the mix, you're encouraging them and, and you're doing that, but also we've seen you lead us. As well, and um, you know, I really appreciate that. Um, tell us a little bit about worship for you. You know, has worship always been part of your life? Has it always been like this, what we see now? Um, where'd, where'd it come from?
2: Yeah, um, it's always been a pretty huge thing that I see is coming from like family, grew up around music, dad's a musician, um, always kind of pointed out the, the way that you can connect to God through song and things like that. Um, it's, it was something I haven't really engaged with in a leadership way until COVID, where it was kind of like, we need worship. And we're we need only, you.
0: You got we, the <laughs> call, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> From Dad. <laughs> From dad. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> need
2: someone to sing and play the piano and can't just be, you know, yeah, so that was all those videos that we did. Those were my first time kind of getting up and singing and then we came back and it was you know, up in front of everyone for real. Um, but it's always been something very close to... My heart personally, um, and something that has always allowed me to reconnect with God, um, to find um, security in Him as well. Um, yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, so, you and I were having a chat the other day, and we were trying to work out what is it about worship in song? Because, you know, I know you can stand on a mountain and complete silence and utterly worship God. You can, like, dedicate your whole work day and, like, work really hard and work up a sweat and totally, you know, that is your worship of God. You are saying, God, you are so good, you know, and I'm going to do this for you. So you can worship in lots of different ways. But there's something interesting about worship in song, isn't there, and music?
2: Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I think it's, for me, it's you take music, which is something that can be so moving and powerful and kind of beautiful on its own, um, and then you take God and you put him at the centre of that and it's just this, you take the emotion that you already can get from music and you put so much power behind it. Um, and it, it can, and it's very, it feels very overwhelming sometimes um, where you can hear a song and maybe it sounds really nice and then the words tell you that you're loved and mm. that you're saved and protected and all those things.
0: Mm, and it really moves us, it does something inside us, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. yep. yep. Um, when I was at that stage of my life and I was singing, I will build my life upon you love; it is a firm foundation and I will not be shaken, um, one of the songs on the live stream was you and you sang a song, um, Raise a Hallelujah. And I sang it along, listened to it, and it actually changed my life. <laughs> so thank you, Jackson. I hadn't heard that song before and the way in which you sang it, um, it became a bit of an anthem for me In a season where, um, you know, I just felt like there was um, there was just a lot pressed in around me, and it was another song where I could say, "I will raise a banner," and of sorry, I will raise a hallelujah as a choice. Um, And there was another line in it that said, "Heaven comes to fight for me," and I really felt like your song and other people who'd who'd rallied around me—they were evidence of heaven coming to fight for me. Um, what what does that song mean to you? What, do you what do you hear when you sing it what do you think about
2: yeah there's a, a line in the first verse which is "I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief um, and that's always been very representative of my own faith journey of going I don't know all the time what's out there and I doubt God a lot and i and I wonder <coughs> and I have always kind of been in a space where I have to I have to choose to follow God it's not like I'm just overwhelmed by some experience and now I know kind of thing it's always like I am going to choose to follow you God even though I don't know 100% and I feel unsure um that idea of raising a hallelujah louder than my own unbelief um is really important for
0: me. yeah it's a choice song yeah. this one isn't it it's 100%. a real choice yeah. you know um and, and there's a line in it that says, sing a little louder. And I kind of like always imagine the people like looking at each other going, yeah, let's sing a little louder. Because there's something corporate about this as well. So,
2: yep. Absolutely. It's an yep. anthem.
0: You're going to sing it for us, aren't you? Yes. And then we're going to join in. <laughs> I so why hope don't, so. <laughs> why don't you guys go and get yourselves set up? And uh, yeah. So I wonder if we might sing this song. I wonder if we might choose to be on purpose in a season where we need to rebuild... Uh, the idea of actually coming and being purposeful about our worship. So like I said, you, know, you can go and stand on a mountain and worship God. If you haven't encountered Jesus or you are not sure whether worshipping God, coming into God's presence will actually make any difference in the rebuilding of your life, then have a go. I dare you. <laughs> go and stand on a mountain and see if worship does not fall out of you. Open up the scriptures and have a close look and see if it does not deeply transform who you are. And if you find something that does, remember it, write it down, repeat it over and over. Write it on your hearts because Jesus is the place in which God dwells. Jesus is the answer to what the people of God were trying desperately to do all of their lives in their rebuild process. And he's done it for us. So how about we sing, how about we choose to raise a hallelujah in our building process on to just stand?